Masechet Nazir Daf Lamed Bet. We begin with the Mishnah at the bottom of Daf Lamed Aleph Amud Bet. Mi she nadar ben Nazir v'nishale chacham va'asaro mone misha'ah she nadar. A person made the neder and uh, after a few days he said, you know what, I regret making this neder to be a Nazir. And he goes to a chacham. After discussing it with the chacham, the chacham says, sorry, I don't find any way to undo it. You're, you have to continue to be a Nazir. So he does not count from that day on that he had uh, the discussion with the Chacham. Uh, rather, he can count from the first day. So if he um, had been made a vow one day, and then 10 days later he talks to the Chacham, the, those 10 days he can count uh, within the Nezirut, if he was a total of 30 days. So then he just has to have 20 more days after he speaks to the Chacham. Okay, that's a simple reading. It does not really, doesn't seem to be adding much of a chidush. And maybe we would have thought that since in his mind, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go to the Chacham and undo it, that maybe those days wouldn't count. Um, but really, this is here as a contrast to the next, uh, um, to the next uh, case where the Chacham does undo it. <clears throat> now, the Gemara is going to assume that in this case, we are talking about uh, where because he was going to go to a Chacham, he didn't take the first, those first days seriously. For example, if it's 10 days, he's drinking wine during the 10 days. And then he goes to the Chacham and said, oh, you know, I never wanted to make it, and then uh, you didn't even keep it. But turns out the Chacham says, no, you have to stay, uh, stay in Nazir. Nevertheless, you can count those days. Remember that only Tumat Met breaks a nizirut, and then you have to bring korbanot and start all over again. Uh, the other things, like uh, uh, drinking wine, although it's prohibited, if one does drink wine, so you violate a sin and you get lashes, but the nizirut continues. And so that would be the idea here. At least on a deoraita level, uh, you can count those days, even though you were drinking wine, and even though you know you're expecting to uh, go to a chacham and figure that he's going to undo it, so you weren't so careful with it. Those days do count towards the total. Okay, the Gemara is going to add another layer layer of a Dirabanan fine on this person. All right, that's case one. Case two. Nishal lechacham v'hitiro haitalo behemam mufreshet hesevitir ayba ayader. A person says, "I'm going to be a nazir," and while he's a nazir, he uh, separates uh, animals for his concluding korbanot. But then, at some point, he goes to a chacham and says, "I regret being a nazir," and then uh, and the chacham un, un, annuls his nazirut. So now it turns out that this animal that he had made consecrated is no longer needed. And in fact, it's no longer consecrated because retroactively he never was a Nazir. So if a random person just says, you know, here's an animal from my Nazir, Nazirut, but you're not a Nazir, you don't make it, you don't make it Hikdesh. And therefore, it can go and graze with the rest of the flock because it's Chulin. Uh, even though for a certain time period it was consecrated, but retroactively he was not a Nazir, so it was not consecrated. So he can go on. Now, uh, this is uh, the this opinion is not stated uh, in any in anybody's name, so it sounds like everybody would agree with this. Um, but so Bet uh, tells Bet you agree with this law, right? This is a unanimous law that this um, anim- these, these animals can go back and uh, uh, and become chulin. But I know Bet don't you say that in a general hekdesh taut is hekdesh? We saw that in the previous Mishnah. 
someone says, um, you know, this uh, an animal that comes out of my house, a black, the black one that comes to my house first is going to be Hegdesh, and a white one comes out. Bet Shammai, according to the Peshat of the Mishnah, said, yes, even though he made a mistake, nevertheless, uh, it is Hegdesh. So don't you agree with that? And in this case, you should say that um, uh, even though he made the thing consecrated because he thought he was a Nazir, and it turns out he was in error because he undid it, nevertheless, you should say that it becomes Hegdesh anyway, because even though it's erroneous, it should still be Hegdesh. So how can you explain this, that it goes and uh, and can uh, continue to be in the field like it's Holin? So Bet Hillel is uh, challenging Bet Shammai from this Mishnah. Now, Bet Shammai doesn't a- answer this question here. He answers, he responds by bringing a different source that is against Bet Hillel's position. So how would they answer the question? Well, we're going to see in the Gemara, they could actually say simply, this is not a case of an erroneous, um, actually, this person is never a Nazir in the first place. So the whole, the, it doesn't, just doesn't apply. And then these Zudut never applied. And so his consecration never applied either. It's different from an error where I said, the, uh, the black one that comes out first. So even though I thought a black one would come out first, but it turns out to be a white one. Um, so something came out, and therefore we say even though there was an error in his language, but he the well, coming out first uh, still applies. So then in that case, that's when Bet Shammai says an erroneous consecration is still valid. But here it's not erroneous. There never was a consecration. There never was a nazir. Okay, so Bet Hillel can answer that question directly, but he wants to go further and challenge Bet Hillel's position. Bet Hillel said erroneous consecration is not valid. Hey, so Bet Shammai says, what about this case? So Bet Shammai says, in a case of um, uh, uh, of animals where there's a, a law, you have to every tenth animal maaser maaser behema. A farmer, a shepherd, has to give. Uh, a tenth of all the animals that are uh, born within a certain season, uh, they are hikdish. Uh Now, uh, how does he do that? Well, at, uh, he, at the end of the season, he k- gathers all the animals in a pen, and he makes a small opening that only one can go through. And then he'll count as they go through. One, two, three, right? Seven, eight, nine, ten. And the tenth one, he, um, he takes a staff and marks it. So then, then they get all mixed up. So every tenth one that passed through has a mark, and then he can go and find all the ones that have that marking, and all those will will be consecrated. Okay, so that's it's normal. That's that's a normal system. And most shepherds they can count to ten, and that's fine. But what if a shepherd makes a mistake, and he goes seven, eight? And he skips nine by mistake. I don't know. Maybe he's just looking at the next one, and instead he goes from eight straight to ten. Then he realizes his mistake, and so he goes back to nine, and then continues in order ten. So basically, he said seven, eight, ten, nine, ten. Uh, right. So so he called the ninth one ten, and the tenth one he called nine, and the eleventh one he called ten. Right. So he said ten, nine, ten. So what's the law? The law is halacha is that all three of those are hikdish. The one that he called ten, that was actually the ninth. The one that he called nine, that was actually the tenth, and the eleventh one that he called ten. So either if you call it ten, or it is actually the tenth, even if you call it the ninth, 
all three of those become hikdesh. Um, so you see that uh, Bet Shammai proves from this law that a, an, a consecration in error is still a consecration. And Betilel, don't you agree with that law? So you should agree with me that hikdesh ta'ut is hikdesh. That's Bet Shammai's counter argument. But Betilel defends himself. Says, hold on, how does this work? The, the, the staff itself, that the staff doesn't make something hekdesh. Uh, for example, if as they're going three, uh, as, as they're going through, he makes a mistake, not one away from ten, but two away, two or more away. And on the eighth one that comes out, he he uh, puts the staff on it and gives it a mark. And he says, "Oh, this is ten. He just counts wrong. Or on the twelfth one, will that work? Will it be consecrated? The law is it is not, right? This law of making an error only applies if it's one away but not if it's two or more away. So you see that it's not because of, it's, of an error. If you say that any error is valid, makes it hekdesh anyway. So it shouldn't matter where he makes the error. He said, oh, this is 10, right? Even if he did it in any random place, it would be hekdesh. But that's not the halacha. Well, halacha only applies if it's one away from the from the tenth, but not two away. So the proper explanation is Ella Katub Shekidesh Asiri Hu Kidesh The same pasuk that says it's the tenth. That's what teaches us that it would be the ninth, Veta Hadasad, or the eleventh. It's a Gizarata Katuv. It's just an edict. It's not because of uh, uh, all cases error. It's just particular error. It's a kind of error that happens often, and so. Um, we have to uh, um, be stringent about this. If it's one away, it's kind of close enough, and so we're going to count that as consecrated. But not all errors. This is a special case. This is an exceptional case, according to Betilel, and therefore cannot be used as a proof for the general law that um, uh, 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 about errors in consecration. Okay, so you see Bet Shammai and Betilel each bring one proof, and each one says about the other other's proof that that's exceptional, right? Bet Hillel says this thing about the uh, every tenth animal and being one, that's an exceptional case. In general, Hekdesh uh, Ta'ut is not valid, whereas Bet Hillel says in general it is valid. Um, and uh, the, this, this case here that you're bringing, of uh, um, uh, of the Nazir, who retroactively was not a Nazir, that's an exception, because it's not really an error. He was never a Nazir to begin with. Okay, good. So that's the uh, Machloket in the Mishnah, which we will analyze in a minute. But first, regarding the, the opening law, uh, we ask, It seems like neither of the following two opinions can be the author of our Mishnah. Right, remember, we're talking about a case where someone declares himself to be a Nazir, then um, drinks wine for some of the days, and then tries to undo it, but is unable to undo it. The Chacham will not let him out. And the question is, how many more days? According to the Mishnah, he does, the simple reading of the Mishnah seems that he does not have to add any more days. Right? The Mishnah said, He can start counting from the day he made the vow, and all those days in between that he drank wine, we don't count, uh, they, they can count. It doesn't matter that he was drinking wine. It was prohibited, but those days still count. And he doesn't have to add any more days, right? If he said, I'm going to be in Nazir for 100 days, and on some of the days in the middle he was drinking, so he counts from the, first, from the beginning, and that's it, 100 days altogether. 
you do not have to add any. That's what it sounds like from the Mishnah. However, the following two opinions, and this seems to be like all the opinions, the Biyose or the Banan, who else could it be? Uh, they say that you do have to add a certain number of days in this type of case. The Tanya, here's a Braita. It's also paralleled in the Tosefta. Someone made a vow and then he violated his vow by drinking wine, for example, not tumatmet. That tumatmet is a different story. Then he was, uh, would undo everything. He has to redo all of his days. But if he only drank wine, so, and this Kakin law, we do not um, uh, uh, deal with him, right? We're not going to let him off the hook until he counts the number of days like uh, of Isur as he did with Heted. In other words, um, any days that he was drinking wine, you have to count them and you have to add them on at the end as a penalty. Midoraita, let's say a person did, has said, I'm going to be for 100 days. And then for 60 of the days he drank wine, for 40 day of the days he was on good behavior. Now he comes at the end, he says, oh, I want to, I want to complete my nizirut, I want to bring my sacrifices. So we say, you know, what's the story? You did good the whole time? He says, no, I drank wine for 60 of the days. We say, sorry. In the Beta Mikdash, we say, sorry, we're not not letting you off the hook just yet, right? You you uh, made light of your nizirut. Well, the rabbis don't like that, and therefore, as a penalty, you're going to have to do 60 more days, right? The, all those days you drank wine, now you're going to have to do them properly, so that all together, you'll have a hundred proper days. That's the opinion of Rabbanan. Rabbi Yosei says, no, 30 days is enough. Now, there's more than one way to interpret this, uh, this, uh, not, this 30 days is enough. One interpretation is that even if he drank wine for 60 days, the penalty doesn't have to be that he has to redo all 60 days. 30 days is enough because that's the minimum amount of an izidut, even though he said 100 days. Okay, he did 100 days, even though not all of them were good. As long as he has, has 30 good days, that's sufficient. And and that in this example, well, he had he did had hundred altogether, sixty bad, forty good. So we had forty good days. So then you wouldn't have to add anything. If it was a shorter amount, if he was let's say only thirty days, and he drank wine for ten of them, so then he'll have to add uh, ten more. If he drank wine uh, for all hundred days, and it was a hundred day thing, he'll have to add thirty. That's one interpretation of the Biose. But I'm going to uh, follow a different interpretation um, uh, here of Rabenu Peretz, which says that he only has to add more days if he drank wine for 30 days or more. In other words, we give him some leeway, right? You, what, you messed up on a couple of days? Uh, that is, it's prohibited, of course, right? But we're not going to give you a penalty if you drank wine from between 0 and 29 days, uh, no penalty. Uh, but if, um, if, you drank, uh, if you drank wine for more than 30 days, so then, you know, you really messed up your, uh, this nizirut, then you get a penalty and you have to add extra days. Okay, so um, let's follow that interpretation of the Biyose because it fits better with the, with the language in the continuation. The main question from this Baraita is going to be the fact that according to both Rabbi Yoseh and Rabbanan, you have to add more days in uh, certain circumstances. Whereas in the Mishnah, it just said you count from the beginning of his vow. And it doesn't say anything about adding more days. So these two sources seem to be in contradiction according to both opinions. The answer is going to be that 
we might be talking about different cases. And each of, both Rabbanah and Rabbi Yosef would agree that there are some cases in which um, uh, you would, uh, Rabbi Yosef at least would agree that there are some cases you don't have to add days. And Rabbanan we're going to have to reinterpret his words a little bit. Okay, so here's the question. If you're going to follow Rabbanan, so uh, Rabbanan would have a problem if the truth is he would have a problem no matter what, because whether it's a 30-day or a 100-day, no matter how long, if you drank wine for one day, you're going to have to add another day um, at the end. Um, but for Rabbanan, it would be a problem even if it was a short period of only 30 days, and he drank wine some of the days, you're going to have to add some more days. So that's, it's a problem for the banan. And for the biose, it would be a problem if it's, especially if it's a long period, uh, let's say 100 days. Because um, if it's 100 days, then there's a bigger chance that he drank wine for 30 of those days. You see, if it's only a 30-day period, for the Biyose, as long as he didn't drink wine for one or two days, he's okay with no, no penalty. So then, uh, a 30-day Nizirut altogether, the Biyose would be in agreement with the Mishnah. Uh, but if it's many days, and thereby, because of that, it's more likely he drank wine for over 30 days, then there would be a penalty. And so, you see, either way, uh, it doesn't match with the Mishnah. And so our answer is, Usually the phrase is, If you want, I will say. Over here, it's, if you want, you, if you want, you can say. Okay, it's equivalent phrases, but it's interesting that uh, it's a little bit different here. Okay, if you want, if you want, you can explain it according to the Biyose, and if you want, you can explain it according to the Banan. So we went from zero people being the possible authors of the Mishnah to saying, really, we can explain it according to everyone. How so? It could be according to the Biyose, and the Biyose in the Braita here, that's talking about when he uh, Nazir for a long time, let's say a hundred days, or maybe more. And within that, it's likely he will, if he wasn't careful, that he would have drank drunken wine for more than 30 days, and then he's going to be slapped with a fine. But the Mishnah is talking about where it's a short Nezirut, only 30 days. So as long as he was careful for one or two days not to drink wine, there's going to be no fine. That's why the Mishnah said no fine. And uh, Rabbi Yosef is simply elaborating in the Baraita and saying, oh, well, if it's, it's a long one, then there could be a fine. Uh, or, or I could explain it according to Rabbanan. And don't read it literally as uh, from the time that in the Mishnah. Don't read it literally as that he can count from the day that he made the vow. Because really he's going to have to add some more days. Uh, rather say, at like from the day that he made the vow. So if on the day that he made the vow... He said a uh, hundred days, and then you have to just to count a hundred days, and hopefully he'll go through without any incident. But if he does drink, so he drank for 60 days, and now he says, okay, I made Teshuvah, I'm not going to drink anymore. So good, he did 40 days. Well, now you have to add 60 more at, 
in accordance with the number of days that he vowed at the beginning. So it doesn't mean literally from the beginning, but rather like from the beginning, the same number of days. And now we work if it's short also, if it's 30 days and he drank wine for here and there uh, in the middle for 10 days. So you have to start from the beginning. Uh, you can count from the beginning means you can count the number of good days that were around from the beginning, but it has to add up to a total of 30, right? Just like at the beginning, he would have had to needed. He needed at that point 30 full days for 30 days that were uh, kosher. So too, at this point, um, at the end, we see, well, you had 20 good days. Fine. Now you need 10 more. It will have to add up to the full number of days, just like at the beginning. Okay, one more note about terminology. You see in the printed edition, it does say Iba'et Tema everywhere here. If we check the manuscripts, we'll see that actually this is only in the printed editions. Um, in the manuscripts, it says Iba'et Ema, Iba'et Ema. Uh, here, Iba'et Iba'et Ema in all three manuscripts, Iba'et Ema in all three manuscripts. So the manuscripts have the more usual phrase, if you want, I will say, uh, for some reason in the printed edition here, it says Iba'et Tema. Um, but you can't really chalk this up as an exception uh, to the general terminology, the general, ter general terminology throughout Shas and, and in this suga also in the manuscripts is Iba'et Ema. All right, and that brings us to the next section. Uh, so next part says, um, if uh, if the uh, if a person was a nazir, he designated an animal sacrifice, and he went to a chacham and he said, "Okay, you're not a nazir anymore. That sacrifice that he consecrated is no longer consecrated," and everybody agreed to that law. Now, listen, we can, and from what Bet Shammai responded to Bet Hillel's challenge, we can learn something about what Bet Hillel thinks in a case where is not is not said, right? So we're going to triangulate uh, or bring uh, bring parallels between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. So um, we know what Bet Shammai says in a certain case. We're going to learn from that what Bet Hillel would say in a parallel case. Okay, as follows. Didn't Bet Shammai say that an erroneous Hekdesh is valid? It is Hekdesh anyway. That is his general rule, and that's what we saw regarding the black animal. Turns out to be a white animal that came out. It is Hekdesh. However, in this case, Bet Shammai agrees with Bet Hillel, uh, with the Nazir, because since it is revealed retroactively that this guy was not a Nazir, right? And Delav Shapir Nazar, his vow was not a, a valid vow because he annulled it. And so therefore, since it turns out he was never a Nazir, so, you know, this animal, it can go. And this is not a case of error. It's a case of retroactive undesignation. He was never a Nazir. That's why Bet Shammai agrees in this case. All right. So now we know that Bet Shammai is going to distinguish between an erroneous, an error, which is valid, versus uh, something that is um, uh, simply uh, uh, retroactively undone, in which it is not a consecration. Now, we can learn from there about Betilel regarding Temura. 
Remember yesterday, we saw that Bet Shammai says, how do I know that the beginning error in the making something consecrated is works? Because in Timurah, that also works, even though if, an, if it's an error, if I by mistake replace one thing with another, even if I make a mistake in my language, it still is a Timurah. So, so too at the beginning. And Bet Hillel says, no, I don't think you should compare Timurah at the end, where some, animal A is already consecrated, and I want to apply it to animal B. That's not the same as the beginning, where it's not consecrated yet. Okay, so we already made that parallel between uh, consecration and error and Timurah. And Bet Hillel thinks that an error in, in Timurah does make it consecrated. He just doesn't apply it to uh, uh, an initial consecration. So now we can learn something to for Bet Hillel. Le Bet Hillel name, afal gav damre Timurah betaut havia Timurah. Bet Hillel agrees. Everyone says that a Timurah that's done in error is a Timurah. Yes, that's true. That's only if A, the original animal, remains a consecrated animal and I made some kind of mistake, well then A and B nevertheless become Hekdesh. But if I undo animal A, I go to a Chacham and I say, I want to annul that consecration of animal A. And in the meantime, I had already tried to replace it with animal B. And so both of them were consecrated. Once I annul A and A is no longer uh, consecrated, so too animal B is also uh, annulled. Just like Bet Shammai says regarding initial consecration, that a retroactive annulment undoes the, uh, the consecration. Um, uh, so Bet Hillel would apply the same logic regarding Timurah. So let's give a, 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 an example of this. Um, a person has animal A and he made it consecrated. Okay, very good. And then he said, listen, the, uh, that animal over there in the barn, the black one, um, is going to be a, a, a replacement for this one here. Now, it turns out to be an error. The animal that he was thinking of was white. So everyone would agree that that, uh, that other animal, the black one, the one that was white that he thought was black, called animal B, is consecrated. That's the way it works. That's the way Timurah works. And even though it was an error, he made an error, nevertheless, it's still consecrated. However, if the person goes to the Chacham and says, listen, um, animal A, I wanna, uh, I, I wanna annul my c consecration, and so he goes and annuls it. And now, since A was annulled, B, let's say regular case of B, doesn't matter, it was right here, A, B, right, here, no, no case of error. And so once A is annulled, so now retroactively A was never consecrated. That means when he tried to make the replacement and says, I want B to be uh, uh, Kodesh instead of A. Well, it turns out A was never Hekdesh, so they, the holiness of A can transfer to B, and once A gets undone, B also gets undone. So even though that um, Bet Hillel does not agree with Bet Shammai regarding consecration error at the beginning anyway, right? So according to Bet Hillel, um, the beginning consecration in none of these cases is consecrated, but he would agree with this distinction that in a case where uh, consecration and error is a consecration, meaning Timurah, but, but a, um, a retroactive undesignation would be a non-designation at all, just like Bet Shemai says in, the, in, in, the, in this case. Okay, good. So that's a very interesting kind of uh, triangulation of a case that we don't know at all based on 
Machloket, and what he, what Bet does say about a parallel case, we can learn from Bet Hillel. Um, it's kind of like a geometric proof. Good. Amar Mor, now quoting the Mishnah, um, so this is when Bet Shammai responds to Bet Hillel and says, oh, don't you agree that a consecration and error is a consecration? After all, if you make a mistake and you count uh, eight, ten, nine, ten, all three of those middle ones are consecrations. Now, Itmar, Ma'aser, Rav Nachman Amar Ta'ut Velo Kavanato, Rav Chista V'Raba Bar Rav Huna Amre Ta'uto, V'Kol Sheken Kavanato. So there's Machloket here about that case of consecration of uh, the Ma'aser animals. Rav Nachman says, Ta'uto, that only when he makes a mistake, an error, he counted number nine as ten, and he did. He, he just made. A, he he was counting wrong. He was thinking of something else. That's when that 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 one, the ninth one, becomes consecrated, and the tenth, and the eleventh, all of them, because he made a mistake. But if he did it on purpose, he said, "Listen, I know this is." He, and he's thinking in his mind. I know this is the ninth, but you know what? I'm gonna uh, mark it with my staff anyway. I'm gonna say this is Maaser. If you do it on purpose, it doesn't work, right? Because uh, there's a system here. It only goes uh, to every tenth one. That's Rav Nachman. Rav Chista, on the other hand, says, wait, if uh, when I do it in error, it's consecrated, all the more so when I have an intention, right? I have intention. So now I'm giving more to, to Maaser. Well, it certainly is going to work if when I do it by mistake, it's, it's Hekdesh. Certainly if I do it on purpose, even though I know it's the ninth, I make it the tenth, all the more so. Okay, we can understand the logic either way. This Mitzchavachom, makes sense. Um, Rav Nachman also makes sense. You know, if I know that it's the ninth, then really in the back of my mind, I know it's not the tenth. So I can't make something Ma'aseh that isn't the tenth. Uh, whereas if it's by mistake, so I don't actually know that I'm making a mistake, I actually think it's the tenth, because I think it's the tenth, so it's an erroneous consecration, but that could be a consecration. Because at least I do think it's the tenth. Um, okay, that's the machloket. And now we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna challenge Rav Nachman's opinion. My question to you, Rav Nachman, is according to your interpretation, how come Bet Hillel doesn't answer uh, Bet Shammai and, and give that and tell them, wait, these cases are different? Uh, let's elaborate. He says, according to you, Rav Nachman, because you say, in the case of uh, the Maasar Behema, only if he designates an error. That's when the that's that's when the de, the erroneous des, designation is a des, designation, all right. And then, according to you, when Bet Shemai tells Bet Hillel, don't you agree that if he called the ninth one ten, and the tenth one he called nine, and the eleventh one he called ten, all three are Kodesh, and Bet Hillel was quiet, like he had no answer to it. No, Bet Shemai, Bet Hillel should have answered. Wait, you can't compare Maaser to uh, to a case of uh, of Hekdesh. Um, because uh, other cases of Ekdesh, when you're just taking a regular animal and saying, I want this to be a Korban, because re regarding Maaser, um, if I do it on purpose, if I try to make the ninth one purposefully, 
ma'asir, uh, it doesn't work. So this is a completely different category than regular animals that I want to bring as a sacrifice, as a whatever, as an ola, as a hatat, um, where I have to do it on purpose, right? Uh, that's, that's the main way you do it is on purpose. So you can't bring me a comparison from something where a purposeful um, miss, <laughs> it's, it's purposeful, but I got the wrong one. So a I can't say a purposeful mistake, right? But um, a, a, a purposeful uh, consecration of the wrong animal uh, does not take effect. That's a completely different category from regular hikdash, where it has to be done with proper intent. Uh, so that's what Betilel should have said. Hey, you're bringing me a different category. But um, uh, to defend Rab Nachman, I'll tell you why Betilel didn't answer that. Because the Kalva Chomerhu, Mama says she no Kadosh be Kavana, Kadosh betaut, Hegdesh, Kadosh be Kavana, Lokol Sheken, because Betilel knew that he's going to have a Kalva Chomer against him. Um, according to Rav Nachman, uh, the Kavachom is as follows. You see that Maaser, Maaser Behema, um, does not become consecrated when done intentionally, when he intentionally picks the ninth one. And nevertheless, when I do it by mistake, it becomes consecrated. So you see that Maaser Behema becomes consecrated even when it's erroneous. So, Hekdesh which does become uh, consecrated when done on purpose, all the more so it should get consecrated when done by mistake. Uh, in other words, Ma'asar Behema um, has a restriction, right? It, it's, it's harder to consecrate Ma'asar Behema because the consecration only works in one category when done erroneously and not when done purposefully. So therefore, regular Ekdesh, which for sure does work purposefully, all the more so it will work when done uh, with, uh, when done by mistake. And so Betilel knew that he's, he would have this Kavachomen against him, and that's why he didn't respond. But in the end, the Gemara says, you know what, um, uh, uh, Rabna, the question against Rav Nachman is a good question, and really uh, Betilel could have responded uh, something because Velohi Dehekdesh Bedata Demaretale. The reason you can't make this Kavachomer because they're a different category. Hekdesh depends on the knowledge of the owner. The owner has to have intention because he's taking a regular animal. He doesn't have an obligation to take any of these animals and make them hekdesh, any, any particular one. Um, so he says, I want I decide, I want to bring an ola. Okay, this one's going to be an ola. So it has to be with his intention because he's the one making it um, uh, through his knowledge and uh, and statement, he's making it hekdesh. That's different from masar uh, from masar behema. Masar behema is a Torah obligation that says one tenth of all these are going to be consecrated. All you're doing is counting them out to just, just designate which one is going to be. But the the consecration happens from the Torah law. Right, almost by itself, and so you're just you're just kind of uh, uh, corralling. Okay, which ones will be this way? Which ones will be that way? So you're someone has to decide. You know, so we need some system to decide um, which tenth will, will be the tenth that is consecrated. That's so, so. That's why it makes sense to actually separate them and say, no, you can't make a kavachomer. There's a good reason why. For Egdesh, you need uh, the knowledge of the owner, whereas for maasar behema. It's just the system itself and anything that he 
does touches with the through that system will be hekdesh erroneously, even even uh, even erroneously, and so really the two are not comparable. All right, and that brings us to the next mishnah. Okay, a person uh, declares himself to be a Nazir. He doesn't say anything else, no conditions or anything. But in the back of his mind, he knows back on his farm, he has an animal and he's going to want to use that for his uh, uh, concluding, uh, one of his concluding sacrifices. And is relying on the existence of that animal that he can use that. He's not going to have to go spend more money out of his pocket. Now, uh, after some days, he goes and checks on that animal and finds out that it was stolen. Well, what is the status of Nizirut? It's, he didn't say a condition, but it's kind of like it was conditional based on the existence of that animal. So it depends on when it was stolen. He has to go find out, go you know, check the uh, cameras and see the exact date and time. Uh, if it was stolen before Nazar, um, then he's a Nazir. If he became a Nazir first, he took the vow first, and after that it was stolen, well then at the time that he made the vow, the animal was there. So it's a valid vow. There's a change in the circumstances afterwards. Well, you know, that's your problem. I mean, if he wants, he can go to a Chacham and say, listen, I can't afford it, whatever, and see what the Chacham says. But the vow is a valid vow because the animal was there at the time. However, if in Mishin Rabbeim Tobem Todazar, if he um, uh, made the vow after it was already stolen, right? He didn't realize, but it, it wasn't. It was already stolen. So then, at the time that he made the vow, thinking in his mind, I know I'm going to use that uh, that uh, animal uh, for my nizirut. So since the animal wasn't there and he was relying, depending on that animal. Uh, like a condition, so his vow never applied in the first place. All right, so this is an important distinction, and we're going to now see another application of it, a fascinating one, uh, regarding the the destruction of the Bet Hamikdash. One of the sages from uh, the time right before uh, and through the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash in 70 CE, he did not make this distinction that we just said. And uh, we're going to see that the sages told him that was an error. Now, so what happened? There was some Nizirim. They lived outside the land of Israel. He himself, Nachum, says he was the Mede. He probably was born out in Persia somewhere. And uh, then he moved to Israel. So now, so these Nazirim, they didn't get the news, right? The news did not travel very fast and ba back then. And so they made themselves Nazirim, assuming that the Bet HaMikdash was still up and they would bring their Korbanot. Now, they must have known that they're in the middle of a war, a revolt against the Romans, but uh, most people probably figured that the revolt either will win, beat the Romans, or even if we lose, uh, the Romans may, you know, kill a lot of people, but uh, why would they uh, destroy the Bet HaMikdash? In fact, we know that uh, um, uh, Titus was deliberating. Uh, should he destroy it or not? It's, you know, the contemporary sources say that. 
Okay, so it was not, not definitely clear to everyone that it was going to be destroyed. So they thought that it was still up. And now they're coming after, their fini- after they finished their, their days, right? They have all their long hair and everything, and they're bringing their korbanot. And now they get to Jerusalem, they, then they're surprised, very sadly surprised, uh, that the Bet HaMikdash has been destroyed. And now, not only is this sad for the nation, but also they have no way to undo their nizirut, right? This is a problem. If someone be a, become a nazir today, uh, even if it's just for 30 days, they wouldn't have a way to conclude because you can't bring the korban. So the Nahum Hamadi said, listen, I have a way out for you, right? If you had known that the Meit HaMikdash was destroyed, would you, be, would you have made yourself a Nazir? They said, no, we wouldn't. And Nahum Hamadi said, oh, that's okay. Then you can, you're, you're okay. And you don't, you're not Nizirim. In fact, you were never Nizirim in the first place, right? Because you assumed when you made it that you would have been Nizirim. Okay, uh, from here it looks like he did a hatara that they were in the Zidim and he undid it. And um, it, it, there's two ways to interpret the, this first case also, right? If the animal was never there, uh, was already stolen, so then you have to do hatara, or, or is it automatically, um, automatically never a Nazir? Um, so, however you explain this, you'll explain this story. Uh, let's explain them both uh, to say that it, 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 since, the, since the, the condition that he had in mind wasn't there at the time he made, made Nezirut, he was never, retroactively, he was never a Nazir to begin with. Okay, now, And then the, the matter came before the sages, and they said, wait a second, it depends. If they made, if he became a Nazir um, before the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, then they, as a Nazir, at the time they said they're, they're going to be a Nazir, Bet HaMikdash was there. So it's not an error. Um, whereas if the Bet HaMikdash had already been destroyed, they just didn't know, and they made it, and they said, I'm a Nazir, then their Nizirut vow was an error to begin with, and therefore they were never in, uh, never a Nazir. Okay, um, so uh, this is, um, uh, so the, the sages then, you see, uh, disagreed with Nahum Hamadi, and uh, that's why it says here that uh, this is a mistake that Nachum Hamadi made. He didn't, re- he didn't recognize this distinction of you have to look at when something happens. All right, fascinating Mishnah. And the Gemara comments. Okay, now we're referring to a Mishnah that's going to come later on page 64. It's a machloket between Rabbi Eliezer and Chachamim. Uh, that um, relates to our subject. It has to do with nolad. Nolad means a new situation that comes about that w- w- one would be hard-pressed to have foreseen. There's like, you know, uh, less than 5% chance, I'm making up a number, that this would have happened. It's so unforeseen. So the question is, can you use that to uh, annul a vow? So uh, Rabbi Eliezer says you can, right? If it comes something completely, UFO comes down, right? And uh, if you knew that there was a UFO would come down, would you make an edit? So Rabbi Eliezer says, yes, you can use that. The, the Chacham can use that to undo a vow. Chachamim say no. If it's so out of the ordinary that even a, a normal person would never have even thought of this situation happening, never expected it, you can't use that to undo a vow. It has to be something that, you know, you didn't, you didn't take into consideration, but it was something that 
most people could have and should have taken into consideration and not something totally out of the ordinary. Okay, that's the machloket over there. So now we're going to say that uh, the question here is that the, the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash, this seemed to be something that was very out of the ordinary. Um, so even if they made a vow, the Chachamim in this uh, over here say, if they made the vow before the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, then it's a valid vow. Now, why? The destruction of Bet HaMikdash, we're assuming, was something that was very out of the ordinary, right? It was a surprise. People did not expect it to be destroyed. So, according to Chachamim, that's why they would say, make this distinction, and say that if they made the vow before the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, it's a valid vow. But Rabbi Eliezer should have disagreed over here in this Mishnah, and he should have said, listen, even though it was a small chance and this was a totally new situation of the destruction of the Mikdash, still, that should have been taken into consideration, and that would be sufficient to annul the vow. From the fact that the Be'eli Ezer does not disagree in this Mishnah, um, uh, we see that the Be'eli Ezer must have changed his mind. And so that's why Rabbah said, the rabbis overwhelmed uh, the Be'eli Ezer, and they forced him to uh, agree with their opinion. Okay, remember, this is the same to be Eliezer ben Hurkenos of the Yavan Avachnai, where the sages, uh, uh, um, you know, bring many arguments and excommunicate him. Uh, so you see, we have to, we could read this story in conjunction with that one that Rabbi Eliezer often, uh, here in another case, was a standalone minority opinion and the sages uh, uh, ganged up and um, against him. In this case, they overwhelmed him and he had to agree. And that's why his differing opinion is not recorded in our Mishnah. Okay, good. Now, uh, another comment on this uh, case. Okay, Rava can support uh, Nahum Hamadi's opinion and says, even according to Rabbanan, um, who uh, say that you cannot uh, undo a vow based on a new unforeseen circumstance. But what you can do is you can annul a vow, um, uh, find an opening in a vow with a condition that relates to an unforeseen circumstance. So you just have to add in another step. For example, um, they, uh, they would say, uh, uh, if the person says, um, uh, rather, the, the Chacham says to the person who made the vow, if someone came to you and gave you a news report that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, would you have made a neder? So you see, this is a, a, a condition that we're adding in. So um, this is more, it's more likely that someone can imagine that, oh, we'll get a news report, a rumor that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. We're in the middle of a war and rumors were going around. And so this is something that would be more expected. So the fact of the Bet HaMikdash being destroyed that would be unfor uh, un 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 uh, unforeseen, unsuspected. But the possibility that someone would have reported, hey, I heard the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, that is something that can make it more expected. And so if the Chacham said, tells the person, had you received such a report, would you have made a neder? And if he says, no, if I heard even such a rumor, I would have said, you know what, I better not be a neder. Even, you know, even if it was not confirmed, I wouldn't have been a neder. So then that is uh, sufficient grounds to annul it. So while you can't use a nolad directly, you can use a tenai of, uh, based on a nolad.
All right, and so it could be that that would be Nachum Amadi could use this as a defense and say, yeah, that's why I undid it in any case. All right, Amar of Yosef, hatam, amin, hava amina lehon, haketib, hechal Hashem, hechal Hashem, hechal Hashem hema, ze mikdash rishon, u mikdash sheni. So Rav Yosef says, if I was there when those Nezirim came, I would have been able to help them out and say that, um, it's not an olad, um, so that uh, uh, this is something that, that could have been and should have been expected, that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. How, how does he know that? Well, Yirmiyah quotes the people saying, Hechal Hashem, this is the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of God, they say it three times. Now, in the Peshat reading, the people saying it are in disbelief. They're like, yeah, you're telling us the Bet HaMikdash is going to be destroyed? This is God's sanctuary, right? And they kept repeating it to say, like, almost like a chant, to say, impossible, right? Hashem dwells here. It's never going to be destroyed, right? Uh, no matter what happens, it will never be destroyed. Okay, but Rav Yosef is reading it in the opposite way um, to say that it's going to be destroyed. The three-time uh, rep- repetition, the first one refers to the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash, and the second one's referring to the second Bet HaMikdash, uh, sorry, each, each of the Echel is referring to another Bet HaMikdash. Here's the first one, here's the second one. From the fact that we had a third phrase, Echel Hashem, means there's going to be a third Bet HaMikdash. Why would there need to be a third Bet HaMikdash? Because the first and second, uh, the first was already destroyed, the second is going to be destroyed. So you see, based on this Pasuk, they knew that the Bet HaMikdash would be destroyed, and so they didn't know exactly when, but they did expect it would be destroyed, and therefore this is not no lad, right? If you were living here at the time, you could have seen the, uh, you could have listened to Yirmiyahu who said it's going to be destroyed, you could have uh, uh, read, read, the, uh, uh, the, read the op-eds in the news saying, listen, uh, so someone people were saying they think it's going to be destroyed, this Pasuk says it's going to be destroyed, Yirmiyahu said it explicitly, in fact. Um, so therefore, it's not a nolad, and that's why that if I was there, I would have helped them out. I wouldn't have to rely on nolad or to be Eliezer or anything, and uh, I would have annulled their vows. Okay, and now we uh, we challenge this. Fine, they knew it was being going to be destroyed eventually, but they didn't know when. It didn't have to be that day. It could have been another hundred years or another thousand years. And you know, eventually, at the end of time, there'll be a third Bet Hamikdash. But so see, they no reason for them to expect it would happen so soon. And so they had they had faith that uh, you know things they would be able to pull through. Amad Abayev Layadin Lehemat Abayev says no. We mean they didn't know when. They did know exactly when. Vaketib Shavuim Shivim Nechtach Lamecha Veal Ir Kochecha. Pasuk from Daniel chapter nine, when Daniel's trying to make a calculation of when uh, when is Yirmiyah seventy years going to be up, and he says seventy doesn't mean literally seventy years, but rather seventy sets of seven years, seventy shemitot. Uh, which is 490 years. Now, what is this 490 years? Um, the, the Peshat of the Pesukim and Daniel seems that says, says is referring to from the Babylonian time until the Hashmonaim when they have political independence. And that's the fulfillment of the 70 years and redemption and all that. However, said that Olam Rabbah, the Midrash from the times of the Tanaim, and here uh, Abaye is assuming that 490 years is counting from the destruction of uh, uh, from the destruction of the second, from the, of the first Bet Hamikdash until the destruction of the second Bet Hamikdash, um, this doesn't work out according to historical dates. Um, but if we assume these dates of, of total 490 years and the exile period was 70 years, so then we know that according to that, the second Bet Hamikdash was up for 420 years, and so they knew when it was built, and they could therefore calculate when it would be destroyed. So actually, they did know 
at least the year when it would be destroyed. Um, and uh, uh, based on uh, based on that, uh, this is is something that could have been known. Um, so this is now going to back up Rav Yosef, right? If if he was there. They would have known that it's going to be destroyed, and they would have known even the year that it was going to be destroyed. And so it was that year. And so this Nizirim, these Nizirim, you can say, listen, no, didn't you know it was going to be destroyed in this year? So um, this is not a no lot of far off circumstance. This is something that could be foreseen and that could be annulled. Okay. Now, nevertheless, they didn't know on which day. Um, and so, you know, you don't know if it's going to be now or in a few months from now. And uh, let's say their Nizirut is just for 30 days. So they could have very well assumed that, uh, listen, Bet HaMikdash, you know, maybe it's, uh, I assume it's going to be later on. We're in the beginning of the year, so uh, we'll still be okay. So maybe that's why they made the Nizirut, uh, assuming that the Bet HaMikdash would still be up. Um, and there was an unforeseen circumstance and uh, that uh, it would be have, would have been destroyed so soon. And so it could be that that's the reason why the Chachamim said, no, sorry, uh, you know, if the Bet HaMikdash was, was, um, was up when you made the Neder, then uh, it's going to be difficult to undo it. All right, really fascinating story about these Nezirim and not getting the message Bet HaMikdash would be destroyed. And uh, here, trying to uh, retroject and imagine what did people know? What did people expect? Uh, which is a really important question. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.